0: You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with your hosts, Andy Grant and Apio Hunter. Real Men Feel is all about encouraging men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to opening up discussions that most men aren't having. But you certainly don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel podcast is produced live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern for your growth and enjoyment. You can find more information about the Real Men Feel movement at realmenfeel.org. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. This is a weekly program, and your comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in the Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello, and welcome to Real Men Feel. My name is Andy Grant. Glad you have, you're have you here joining us. Um, this is actually episode 51, and we're continuing our theme, our, our you know, kind of our unplanned theme of 2017, which is sex. Specifically, yeah, someone's very excited. Specifically, okay. this week, we're going to be looking at the, the reality of being a sex worker. So, speaking of sexy sex workers, sorry.
1: <laughs> what, what, on, I don't think that's something you have to apologize for. <laughs> I
0: don't want to put that label on Apio as I introduce him, but...
1: <laughs> well,
2: I guess I've done that, but I have done some pretty interesting things that we might want to talk about that eventually, or maybe not. Yeah! <laughs> we can awesome. bring it up in the show, too, if we want to. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right. so let's really welcome in the, the one who's really excited to be here. Um, she's an international touring escort, Kimberly Klein.
1: Hi! Hey! So nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Cool. We're excited to have you. and. Um, I'm trying, and I should—I guess I should make this clear. We we met via Twitter, so I discovered you and invited you on the show, as opposed to anyone. You know, I I can't speak as a client. That's not why I'm here. Where to kind of investigate your world, which I know nothing about, and um, and and I also, you know, discovering that, calling it the industry, and you really when we talked before the show, talked about the the business and and all the kind of the needs that, that a sex worker can fill and the roles that they can fill. And that's really what I- intrigued me. But perhaps you should yeah. start with, uh, you know, how you kind of ended up in, in, in the business.
1: Okay, we'll start with me. Um, I didn't end up in the business. I went running full speed into the business. It was like totally planned for me. Um, so, well, to start off, like the reality of being a sex worker is that I can only speak for myself and my own experience. Um, what I'm going to tell you about my life and how, how my life works as a sex worker is not going to be necessarily what other sex workers experience. But I can speak to some like industry norms or patterns that I've observed in the 15 years that I've been doing advocacy in the industry um, with a lot of different, um, a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds who do a lot of different kinds of sex work. So let's go backward. I'll start at the beginning. So when I was a senior in high school um, or a junior in high school, I was, deciding where to apply for colleges and I looked at newspapers I went back then um we didn't we had the internet but it wasn't quite as big of a deal as it is now so we went to places like Barnes and Nobles and looked at hard copy newspapers from Other cities. (laughs) So I went to Barnes and Noble and I looked at newspapers from other cities, and Honolulu had the most ads for exotic dancers of all the cities. And I was like, okay, great, I'm going to college in Honolulu because I've got to pay for this somehow, and I've got to work nights. And um, guys pay to look at boobs. Like, that is great. Like, when I figured that out, I was like, oh my God, I was born with boobs. That is the best thing ever. Cause it's like the one natural resource that women have control over. I dig it. So, um, so I went to college in Hawaii and, um, I, the first weekend that I was at college, uh, a girl that I met in the dorm, she and I went to a private beach. She had military family and they had access to a private beach. So we went to a private beach and we met some Marines and I was like, well, these guys know where the strip clubs are. So I told them that I just moved here and I wanted to be a dancer and could they tell me where to work and they were like, yeah, let's get in the car and we will drive you around to clubs and you can pick out which one you like the best. So that's what I did. I went with these guys and we went club hopping and the very first club that we went into was called the Centerfold's Crystal Palace and that was the one that I liked the best. So um, the next day I went down to JCPenney and bought like swimsuits and like clunky shoes i had no idea what i was doing i didn't even know that there were like special lingerie and stripper shoe stores i didn't know anything i was so clueless but the managers loved me i was 18 and i was blonde and i was clueless i was like so perfect and um but i really was perfect for it like not just because i was an easy target because i really wasn't i was actually really smart and i loved it. Like the day that I started, I was like, this is my calling. And I made like $150 that night. I worked for eight hours and made $150. But when I was 18, that was a lot of money. And I had so much fun. So I was really into it. I worked at that club for a total of almost nine months, which I think is the longest I've ever been emplo- an employee of someone else. Um but about six months into that gig, there was a raid. The police came in and arrested two girls because like, their butt had touched the lap of the guy because in Hawaii, lap dances are illegal. We couldn't call them lap dances. We called them private shows. And um, they could arrest girls for really stupid things, like hair brushing across a guy's lap and really minor things that in the state of California are technically defined as prostitution. So, when I saw that happen, I got very, very upset, and I saw how the girls got arrested, and the guys who were in there, they just, like, had to show their IDs and go. And all the guys got lined up in a hallway, so that they could show their IDs and then be let out. And the girls that got arrested got like, marched down this hallway where all these guys who were receiving everything that they could possibly get and facing no consequence for that, but the girls were being punished and this was all very upsetting to me, and I quit that club, and I went up the street to a different club, and at this club, they weren't even pretending that they were doing private dances. They were just walking around with these fuzzy mats and laying them down in front of the guy and laying back and opening their legs and just letting the guy do whatever they wanted. So that freaked me out even more, and I went back to Crystal Palace. (laughs) So... Dancing in Hawaii kind of like planted all of these seeds that later became my advocacy work and also helped me, you know, come into my identity as this channel of divine feminine sensuality that um, I couldn't have defined or labeled at the time, but now I'm coming to understand that I channel something and that's why I'm called to this work. So. I got sick of living on an island. Like it just, it wasn't suitable for me anymore. Um, there were there were a lot of drugs going on too. And I really liked weed. And I got in trouble a lot for smoking weed at the strip club. But like all the other girls were doing a lot of other drugs. Their drugs just didn't smell as bad as mine did. So they were able to just everyday use their drugs. And um, I saw how when people within, the strip club environment developed a, like an actual chemical dependency. They weren't just recreationally enjoying drugs, but they were actually physically and emotionally becoming dependent on it. I saw how the management observed and took advantage of that. So I got all that education in like the first nine months. <clears throat> wow. And I was like, I'm going back to California. So I went back to California. I waitressed at a strip club for a few months because I came back and I got back together with a guy that I had dated in high school and like I was supposed to be like a nice girl now instead of like one of those wild strippers. Um, So I cocktail waitressed at a strip club instead. And after a while I was like, I'm sitting here watching all these other girls make tons of money and I'm making crap so I went back to dancing. (laughs) Um, and. I At some point, I ended up at the Hustler Club in San Francisco. I had worked all over, but at this point, I was at the Hustler Club, and again, it was like similar laws. There was alcohol served at this club, so there were specific laws designed to control the girls. And that was it, but these laws served no other purpose than for the Liquor Commission or the Sheriff's Department to be able to come in and find the girls. They just love coming in and giving us tickets and making us give them all of our stripper money. So. Um, they have a champagne room that is like a special room. And I got a champagne room booking for the first time ever because I just, I was not, um, I really enjoyed getting on the stage and getting naked. The whole like hustling guys for dances and getting the money. I've never been good at that part. Um, so I got this, thing just because I was the favorite of a guy who ordinarily wouldn't do that, but it was his birthday. So his friend paid for it. And his friend was with this girl that I knew pretty well. And she grabbed me and she was like, just so you know, in the champagne room, anything goes. And I was like, what does that mean? Um, So I went into the champagne room with this guy and um, he just like took off all of his clothes. And I was like, I don't have sex, I don't do hand jobs, and I don't do blow jobs. What does this guy think he's going to get from me? So I was like, okay, well, I'll treat this like a Hawaii dance where, where alcohol is served, you're allowed to get all the way naked, but you're not allowed to make physical contact. So I got all the way naked, and then the manager came in and, like, said that I was violating some rules and that I was getting suspended for the day. Um, so... That was, like, kind of devastating, so we put back on our clothes, and, like, I went to the locker room and got all my stuff, and I came out of the locker room, and the guy was just, like, back at the at the stripper table bar with his buddy drinking again, and I was, like, on my way out, having, like, paid some extra fines and not able to work the rest of the day to make money. So, I walked outside, and he followed me out, and he gave me all of the money that was in his wallet, which was like 60 bucks or something, it was a really nice gesture, Um, and he was like, I'm so sorry, I can't believe what just happened, and whatever, and then he went back in, and I was standing there, looking at the front of that strip club, like, you're going down, motherfuckers, like, I was mad, (laughs) and like, I'm going to do something about this, And around the same time, I had come into contact with a woman named Robin Few. And the newspapers in San Francisco had called her the Heidi Fleiss of San Francisco after she got busted for being like a madam to all the rich men of San Francisco. So she had this big federal um, conspiracy to promote prostitution trial thing going on. And she and I both were um, working in the mountain marijuana field. And we, we were doing political advocacy, not distribution. So I talked to her about what happened to me at the club. And I was like, look, like, we do this work for pot. Like, we see it working. Like, we're doing the advocacy. We're changing the laws. There's like, increasingly safe access to marijuana. Why can't we do the same thing for sex work? Because you know, at this time, I still was not an escort. I was a disgruntled stripper. And I really felt like if the girls who do prostitution could just go do that safely somewhere else, they're stopped doing it in the strip club, and I can just make my money doing lap dances and not be coerced into doing more than I want to do. Which I still believe is the case. Um, and uh, she, of course, was like mad about her case, and like, of course, it was totally unjustified that you know women who work together and look out for each other get get these like, felony charges for running prostitution rings. It's just silly. So out of that conversation, um, the Sex Workers Outreach Project was born, and we started off in the San Francisco Bay Area, and now there are like 30-something chapters across the country, and it's all sex worker-led, um, sex workers advocating for sex workers. At the core, it's about reducing violence, but like really we want to change laws in order to reduce violence. So we started Swap, and this woman came out and met with us, and she was a really well-known, like in the industry, you'll hear a phrase, highly rated, highly reviewed, highly reviewed, highly reviewed. Um, So she was like a highly reviewed girl, which was which matters to some people. Um, So she met with me and I told her my story about the strip club and she was like, you are 23 and you are cute and you are smart. You should be working for yourself. And I was like, well, I don't really like know what to do because I was like, I don't want to work for a madam. I don't want to work at an agency and I do not want to go be quarantined in the middle of the desert in a brothel just so that I cannot be a criminal. You know, that's silly. She's like, oh no, 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 work for yourself. I I don't know what you're talking about. So she showed me how to make my own website and how to use the marketing, the escort malls that are available. And, um, I went back to Hawaii and I launched my escort website and I became an independent escort and um, I'm now going on my 13th year doing that, and um, this is my 19th year, 18th year doing sex work total. So through that time, I've been doing the political advocacy as well as the sex work. The sex work is like joyful, and it actually compensates me, (laughs) and the advocacy work is necessary, and it is an outlet for my anger <laughs> so that's how they work together and unfortunately the amount of time and money that i've invested in the advocacy has definitely been a detriment to my sex work i'm, I'm visible i'm outspoken some people don't want to be associated with me um, mm-hmm. But that's fine because by the same token, maybe I'm not like reeling in as much money, but the people that I do connect with like really dig who I am and what I'm about. So um, yeah, I can't talk about the sex work without also talking about the advocacy. They've just always gone together for me. And
0: And that's really what I was attracted to as a guest. It not just being an escort, it was the total package. And, and even though you mentioned, you know, your, your divine, spiritual, um, feminine energy, and like, hey, th- these are not things I expected to hear from an escort,
1: right? Yeah, okay. So, not things you would expect to hear from an escort. Nothing that anyone would expect from an escort is going to be true because most of what everybody expects they've gotten from the media, they've gotten from um, the voices of their own family members who have used disparaging language uh, that is related to sex work, either actually about sex workers or just against women in general. and from like their friends. Like unless you have a conversation with a sex worker, you're not going to get a real story about sex work. Um, And that is becoming increasingly better, um, not only because sex workers are telling our stories and making art and and becoming more visible and vocal through the internet, but also because um, there's a little bit a little bit more of a culture around allyship and people being more accountable and recognizing that we are silenced. Um, And so often we are not able to speak for and represent ourselves. And we've developed a lot of training and had lots and lots of conversations over the last several decades about what does it mean for people who aren't sex workers to advocate for us because so many of the advocates out there will say that they are supporting us by sending the police to arrest our clients. And they're not supporting us. They're actually detracting from our agency because if we want to, like let's say someone actually does rape or rob us we try to report that to the police, they don't believe us. Or if that actually goes to court, like our credibility is questioned just because we're sex workers. Yet they are consistently arresting the men who we consent to have sex with and calling them rapists. This is a totally backward, messed up system. Um, And it has a lot to do with the conflation of human trafficking and sex work. Um, So it's really important to understand that People who are experiencing force, fraud, or coercion, um, and people who are under 18, that would be defined as human trafficking. And people who fall into that category have extremely different needs than people like me who are saying, look, maybe this isn't socially acceptable, but it is the right choice for me. I'll accept the social ostracism for this because it's working for my life just keep the police out of my bedroom, please. (laughs) Like, that's it. Um, People who are experiencing forced fraud or coercion or who are are doing this work while they're under 18, other systems are failing them. You know, um, they are facing poverty. uh, For people who are under 18, the people who are exploiting them might be family members. and it might be, um, might be boyfriends. Like it is, it's it's a really murky, confusing situation for them. And there needs to be space to be able to to differentiate, and for an individual to be able to define when they have agency and when they need help from the community to say, "Hey, actually, I can't handle this. I need someone to step in because I'm, I'm vulnerable." Um, And so often, they're not able to say that for themselves. And we do need ethical allies who step in and say, we see what's going on here. These are the resources needed by this group. Right now, the people who want to provide resources to those who are sincerely vulnerable, sincerely being harmed, the resources aren't getting there. The resources are going to police who are arresting consenting adults because the police don't care. The police want their numbers. That's it. At the end of the day, how many arrests did they get? Oh no! It says my internet connection is unstable. I'm
2: good. I can still hear you. You're okay. still good. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: So, um, when we talk about wanting to decriminalize prostitution, and I'm going to use the word prostitution here because when we're talking about it within the law, the the, the law says prostitution, and that's the law we want to change. We want to. De-
0: Oh, now and
1: recognizing there. that force, fraud, or coercion is not that. Yeah, question?
2: Actually, you, you we lost, you lost, your, we lost you. it for a moment. Yeah.
1: Oh.
0: You're back. You're fine. No, you're I'm, fine. You're <laughs> good. Yeah.
1: You're good.
0: <laughs> so, um, so you were talking about the, the, the it's all prostitution and the prostitution laws, and that's where we lost you.
1: Okay. So within the law, the exchange of sex for money no matter no matter what the circumstances are it's called prostitution and it's illegal in all states including Nevada except in Nevada there are a few counties that regulate prostitution and they call it prostitution in their in their legislation and um, <clears throat> but everywhere else it's illegal Now there are also additional human trafficking laws that enhance and make worse the penalties for basic prostitution stuff. Mm -hmm. So if I introduce a safe client, a guy that I know is wonderful and and intends no harm, he just wants to pay somebody to give him sexual attention, I introduce him to a friend of mine that I trust, under the human trafficking laws they're calling that promoting prostitution um, and human trafficking, that that the act of introducing somebody, formerly this would be known as pimping and pandering, but with the enhancement of these human trafficking laws, it's now being called human trafficking because the police need to be able to say that they're making these human trafficking arrests, but there are very few actual human traffickers being arrested, mostly it is, people who are maintaining a place for the purpose of prostitution, also called brothel keeping in some, in some legislation. Um, so that's like if I'm sharing an apartment with another girl or if I'm sharing a hotel room with another girl, which is the best way to work. There's no better way to work than to have a partner who is off the premise but knows exactly where you are and what's going on and is nearby. Um, So when we share a room or we share an apartment and we're taking turns seeing our clients and like our friend is off somewhere nearby uh, waiting for the session to be over, this is like the best way to work. It's so safe. but it's now a felony for us to do that. It's become a felony for us to keep each other safe. All of the human trafficking laws target the systems that sex workers use to keep each other safe. I don't understand why within the law they're not willing to just recognize the difference between consensual adult sex work and forced fraud and coercion. Because then the resources would get to those who need it. Um, but the human trafficking laws are not about stopping human trafficking. The human trafficking laws are about stopping consensual adult sex work. The people who are financing and pushing for these, these policies have personal vendettas against sex workers.
2: Now that's fascinating. We could
1: do a whole show on that. I don't want to go down that whole line, but you should, you should look up Swanee Hunt.
2: I've heard that name. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I actually have, a day. <laughs> but,
2: you know it's interesting. As I've been listening to you, I've been I've been seeing and observing certain parallels between sex work and the drug industry, and how it's interesting how frequently law enforcement targets the low hanging fruit. the Low hanging fruit being, oh, yeah, the, the the users, the the you know the workers themselves or whatever. Basically, whoever's easy, whoever doesn't have like high powered lawyers on retainer and everything else and yet the people who oftentimes are responsible for for instance human trafficking or the the you know drug trade or whatever consistently get by because they are able to pour money right exactly where it needs to go and keep attention diverted away yeah. not to mention the fact that you know with the with these situations and you know i i consider this more of an observation than a criticism which is You know, people, especially whenever you have politics and politicians, they have to be accountable to their constituents in some way or another. So what better way to show that they're being accountable and that they're, quote-unquote, doing something than to consistently go after the low-hanging fruit versus...
1: Oh, yeah, totally. And, I mean, every single you know, senator and representative who, who supports human trafficking laws is a hypocrite because they all have seen sex workers, Mm -hmm. the men. Exactly. It's really, the men aren't going to do anything on these laws until we get female lawmakers on it because the men are too afraid of being associated as being a client. Um, They're not, they're not going to budge on this, but if, if there's female leadership on the issue. The men are gonna fall in line quick because they they know we're not victims because they spend time with us.
0: <laughs> so is, is, there ready, is there a specific state or city that has been more open to to changing laws, is is cooperating more with, with your group, with
1: with swap? Nobody cooperates, but <laughs> the Libertarian Party in Hawaii has gotten two bills into um, <clears throat> the House of Representatives there. House Bills 1532 and 1533. 1533 would decriminalize prostitution. It would redefine the exchange of sex for money as consensual adult sex work and all of the laws that protect people who are under 18 and protect people from forced fraud or coercion remain in place. So, this would be the law. Did you lose me? No
2: nope, worries. You're still with us.
1: This would be a law that actually draws that distinction we're looking for. This law would make it so that in the state of Hawaii, there is officially a legal distinction between consensually exchanging sex for money and being forced to do any kind of sex, whether it's for money or not. It is punishable. It is not okay. Um, It would also and it makes my little baby stripper heart so happy. It would also make it so that lap dances are not defined as prostitution, which is the most mind-boggling thing in the world. I thought that California had some really stupid laws, but this law in Hawaii is outrageous.
0: (laughs) So if you want to change the laws and take on the system from within, you need some former escorts or current escorts, retired escorts running for office.
1: I don't want to be around those guys unless they're paying me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's um, awesome. <laughs> <now. laughs>
1: well, you know, it's interesting. Um, yeah, thing. no, oh, I agree.
2: Oh no no, no. go What's ahead that? go ahead I was going to say this the uh, you know of 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 a time when I lived in Tampa and they passed an anti lap dance ordinance in Tampa and that was a big thing and all of the owners of the strip clubs actually went toe to toe on behalf of their dancers to try to get that ordinance repealed uh-huh. funny enough and so go for it <laughs> C- continue on
1: um <clears throat> so Hawaii is good this is in they they have a two-year legislative session so uh nothing's going to happen in 2017 but there's a chance that we could get this heard by the house judiciary committee and we have an uphill battle um but this is like the only um major thing that like we're is really going to make a difference. Like, we can mobilize people, we need need phone calls, we need letter writing, we need donations. This could, like, all of us, no matter what state we are currently in, can contribute to helping Hawaii pass this law. Mm. Also in the Ninth Circuit is California, Hawaii, Oregon, uh, I think also Washington. A few other states um, in the Ninth Circuit. There is a lawsuit that is suing the state of California on the grounds that to to the the way that the prostitution prohibition law is written and enforced, they're saying that it's against the state constitution. They're suing the state on constitutional grounds. Mm. Um, that has gone. I think it's it's in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and Um, you know when it's litigation it's just a long slow process moving through next step next step hoops hoops Um, and the only way to really affect that is to donate to them so donate to them if you can Uh, there's no like grassroots mobilization aspect to that one and then New Hampshire has Two female lawmakers there attempted to introduce a bill just like has been introduced in Hawaii that would um, make consensual adult sex work not a crime. Um, They did not get their bill passed, but they did manage to get a committee. Um, I don't know if committee is the right word, but like a, a task force of sorts to research the issue so educating new hampshire lawmakers there's a role there for us to to um when the when the organizers there give the call we will need to be writing letters and making phone calls and contributing to them in some way Mm -hmm. um I, i have to admit i'm not i haven't kept up with that one as much so i don't know what they need right now um but i feel like if they had anything for us i would have heard about it so I'll be passing it all along through my Twitter as it comes to me.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I, I'd like to kind of switch gears here for a moment and and kind of delve into the the whole the psyche of the man who's seeking out the sex worker. Kind of get your perspective a little bit about you yeah. know since we're talking about real men feel. I mean, certainly. One of the things that I look at, and that I tend to just observe, and this is totally unscientific, it's basically just observation, and since we also brought into the whole spiritual aspect of it as well, being somebody who is an energy worker myself, being somebody who perceives and reads emotional energy, one of the big things that I've noticed is that oftentimes men are seek sex workers not necessarily because for the pure enjoyment of it, but because they need some sort of outlet And thank God, the sex workers are actually there to provide that kind of an outlet so that they can actually, you know, be somewhat level-headed at times. That's just how I I, I see it and how I've read it.
1: Okay, so there's a there's a report out today that said like you know about half of men who see sex workers are married or partnered Mm -hmm. um and like more than 40 percent of them say that they need intimacy that they're in you know emotionally stunted sexually um unfulfilling relationships and that this is this is a way for them to have an outlet it also showed that um you know, like a third of them are genuinely concerned about the willing, the, the well-being of the sex workers that they're seeing. Yeah. Um, so, okay, good, because this was another thing that I wanted to touch on. Um, I, I think that there are kind of three categories, and I think that this is seeker-driven. I think as sex workers, we're, we're finding our niche, we're doing our thing. Um, but the people who seek us out, I think they're seeking something categorical. Mm And in what I've observed, there are the people seeking entertainment, there are people seeking education, Mm -hmm. and there are people seeking healing. Um, I think that the people who need healing often are not seeking it, but they find it, because it is the nature of the people they're spending time with. so, this is seeker-driven. So, somebody who I think I think almost all men believe that they fall into the entertainment category. I don't need an emotional outlet. I don't need emotional validation. I just need to get laid. Um, or not even get laid. Um, like, some sex work really is about entertainment, like burlesque or, mm-hmm. um, like, stripping in, in a lot of scenarios. Um, there's a lot of gray areas there. Mm-hmm. But... I can go and sit at a burlesque show and you know the performer is there doing their art as a performance artist and that basically falls into an entertainment category but I can have my own emotional experience there or maybe I learned something new or like maybe I'm healed in some way by it. Mm. So I think it's really seeker driven that you're going to get out of these experiences what you're open to and hopefully what you need if you're able to communicate about it
2: sure yeah i love how you put it what you're open to i think that's that's such a key right there is whatever it is that we're open to is what we're actually going to get out of it
1: yeah so i think like if you're going into the um online marketing and looking at the different kinds of sex work that are are available it's really important to really read the material that the individual sex workers are providing. So often people contact me without having read any of my stuff and I'm like, I don't know if we're really a good match, maybe you should look at my website. (laughs) Um, This is so important and not done enough. Um, I have someone that I work with who um, he, he's very aware of, of being in a space of personal growth and um, needing some like an, like an authoritative female guidance situation in his life. So he seeks out pro-doms and it's really, really easy to become fixated on the outside of a person. Like, you know, you, you want to feel a particular way. You want to have a particular experience. And you want it done by this woman who wears this and looks like this and does this.
0: Right, right.
1: So he went and found somebody who looked like the thing he was looking for, but he did not have the growth and healing that he thought he was going to get with her and so he came to me and uh, wanted to kind of process that like what did I do wrong why didn't this work out for me and I talked to him about what he wanted and I said okay well nothing about the way that this individual presents herself says to me that she's going to be skilled at asking you personal questions and helping you open up and like challenge you and whatever, like her website says to me that she's a performance artist and she's going to like totally rock your world through um, like almost ceremonial pain, you know, which Mm -hmm. is awesome and wonderful. And I might find that healing on some level, like, I'm not a masochist, I'm more submissive than masochistic, but sometimes a really good flogging can give me an aha moment, you know? Sure, For yeah. me, it's about growth and and I'm learning something. For him, it was about being in the presence of that one particular woman and then kind of putting up with this flogging that was her thing, just because he was into her, but it didn't do for him what he needed.
2: Right.
1: So getting really clear with yourself about what you want because this is a substantial investment you're you're investing your time you're investing your privacy because most of us want to screen you and make sure that you're not someone who intends to hurt us like a con. Right. Um, and um, you're investing your money so get really clear take time looking around and really evaluating people and create a a self-inquiry process to really know what you want ask yourself some yes no questions and listen to your body and um, and you can even do that while you're looking at the. like if you're looking at a particular provider will this individual give me what I want and sit with it and think about it Um, but first read through her website
0: (laughs) so it really sounds like the the modern sex worker if you will it's really a blurry line sex worker to sex therapist depending on the individual
1: yes and something important to know is that um, sex therapists cannot make any physical contact with the people they're working with Um, and in my experience therapy is only part of it and it only gets you so far and people need to be able to have physical contact not necessarily sexual contact um, but when I you know ultimately yes like from sex worker to sex therapist um, I went and into a counseling program and I I got a counseling certification because my clients needed it like I didn't know that I was gonna go and become Become a counselor, but over the years, I was finding that um, you know I I was like thoroughly rooted in being an entertainer. Um, in the first several years of being an escort, I was young. I was my clients were significantly older than me, so it was really like it just flowed really easily, like young and hot and fun, let's do this for an hour or two. Um, and what I started finding was that men wanted to spend more and more time with me, that they, they didn't want to leave. They started booking longer sessions with me and they became very loyal. I started seeing the same people over and over and over. And um, over time, as I got close to these folks, they started revealing themselves to me. And most of it was really rewarding and really powerful. Some of it was really heavy for me. And um, like they, they almost like they wanted to be confessional. Like they wanted me to help them process stuff. They wanted me to give them some amount of um, like, like absolve some of their guilt. And they started sharing things with me that were affecting me. Things that were too heavy for me to carry by myself. Hmm. Um and it got to a point where it was too heavy and I was ready for a break and I took a break and I went off and had a baby and I took a serious break from sex work and then I came back and I was like okay this time I have to be prepared for that because even though I wasn't trying to be that I naturally pulled this out of men and my perspicacious nature, like the way that I see things that people think they're hiding, um, it works both ways for me in this business. It makes some people really uncomfortable, like, like mm, nope, nope, like, you can't make people uncomfortable by seeing them, you know? But other people are so relieved to finally be seen. But my seeing was uncomfortable for me. I didn't know how to handle being an empath. <laughs> and um, in mm-hmm. fact, I was recently invited to a workshop for clairvoyants and people who can't cope with being empathic. <laughs> and I was like, I, I no longer identify as, as the second. And I've never considered myself clairvoyant. So I'm good now. But um, I went and got the counseling training because I saw that um, it had to be me. Like, on several occasions I've had clients tell me, especially the ones who were laying some heavy stuff on me, Mm -hmm. "Um, you're the only one I can say everything to because I can't even tell my therapist that I see you, which I kind of think is BS, guys. I think, honestly, if you're paying a therapist, they should be able to hear you and you should be able to talk about this. and I don't think that they have any re- reporting requirements for you to say, I see a consensual sex worker. I don't know, you should check it out. I'll give you a tip though, I'll give you a tip. I spend a lot of my sex work money on therapy. It's the best investment ever. And, um I am with a new therapist who I really like and trust, but I had to figure out that I trusted her. So the first time I met with her, um, we dipped into a lot of like alt lifestyle stuff, it's just so I could like test her out, like see if she can handle me talking about BDSM, see like if she can talk, handle me talking about polyamory. Um, you know, I I managed to kind of, like, figure out if she partners with male or female people. Like, you know, I just had a way. I wanted to see, like, like feel her out. And then in my second session, I said, okay, this is only going to work for us if I can tell you everything. But I have reason to believe that if I tell you everything that If you if you put this in my notes, I have reason to believe that my insurance and my other medical providers will discriminate against me. So can we just make a deal like I'm going to tell you something. And you're going to agree to never write it down. And if you're totally uncomfortable with it, we'll just call it a day. And this will be our last session. And if you're not uncomfortable with it, then I would love to work with you because you seem pretty cool. So, and then I just told her that I do sex work and that, you know, that means I have sex with men and women and couples and they give me money and, um, like, a little bit, like, in a nutshell, kind of what I just took 45 minutes telling you about my life. And she was like, oh, I completely understand why, why you're doing it this way and I totally support you and I want to work with you. So um, that's one way for you to approach your therapist, guys. Um, so I had to go and become the counselor and, and get those skills, um, not, not only because I needed to know how to... Kimberly,
0: i want to clarify one thing. So you got trained as a counselor, not to transition to being a counselor, but to enhance your escort business or skills.
1: Well, I was already doing it. And... I did not have the internal um, tools to keep myself healthy while I was doing it, if that makes sense. So the counseling program that I went into was about, um, we learned the skills to, to counsel others through getting, getting it done for ourselves like doing all of the work on ourselves. So mm-hmm. everything that I've learned to do with other people is stuff that, it's really deep work I've been doing on myself. Yeah. And I needed to have an internal constitution that could hold heavier space than what I felt capable of in my 20s. Yeah. And this particular counseling program was really good for that because A, I was able to be totally open about being a sex worker and why I'm there. Um, and B, it was like, yes, it's possible that people are having healing experiences while seeing sex workers. Like, it just wasn't a question. Just like, yeah, of course, like, how can we help you make sex work more healing, more beneficial for the people you're spending time with, if that's what you want. I want to be really clear that there's not a hierarchy of like, oh, entertainment is just entertainment and people doing healing are, like, elevated in some way. That's not it at all. the people who entertain are really good at being entertainers. They have a physical presence and they, they, they project an energy or they're able to create your dream, make your dream come true. Like, I'm not really marketing, like, hey, I'm going to be, like, the girl you've been um, jerking off to since you were 12. Like, you know, your dream, like, playboy bunny. Like, I'm not even pretending to be that. I'm making it very clear that, like, an experience with me goes beyond the physical. So um, just some of us have different stuff because of who we are. This this work is about being a person who spends time with people. So we all have our thing we do. And... Um, <clears throat> I've done all of them, all the different like phases of work, and um, so when I went to go and get the counseling work, yes, it was it was because I needed to do work on myself. It was because I wanted to enhance what I was doing with my clients. It's also because I and my peers cannot get adequate care. Like my my great story about my current therapist is mm-hmm. rare. So many of us are having a hard time finding support and. Um, So now I'm able to be a good peer counselor.
0: Hmm.
1: It's helped me do a lot of work on myself that has helped me um, evolve through things that I think all of us as women in this business encounter with trusting each other and being women who are perceivably in competition for like the same group of people. Um, And, coping with like friendships deteriorating and coping with um like rejection coping with like regular clients not being regular clients anymore like all these things you know it's just it helped me be in the business better too so it was all kinds of good things and ultimately yeah um I'm going to transition out of being an escort at some point because um, I can't stop the clock. (laughs) Like I just want to get to a point in my life where I'm financially comfortable and I get to age gracefully and peacefully and not obsess over um, medical spa treatments because that's not how I want to spend my money. Sure. I, I like Run what they do for me, but that's not how I want to spend my money.
0: <laughs> Run for Congress when you retire. Right? There you go. <laughs> you know, there's so many
1: assholes to keep track of. Ah, ah, right. I want them to pay me. I don't want to sit in a room with those guys unless they're paying me.
2: <laughs> well, I'm sure. No, I'm way
1: more of a campaign one. manager than a candidate. <laughs>
2: There you go. Hey, that would actually, that would totally work. And then they'd be paying you, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Boom, boom. You could be the, I, the next and better Kellyanne Connery. I <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but we won't go there. <laughs> but there was an awesome no. question. here. I
1: want to uh, be the next Elizabeth Warren. Ooh. Uh, not ooh yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: like I said, better. Far better. <laughs> But uh, going back to the chat here, there's a great question in here. Are there many men in the business that you're friendly with?
1: <clears throat> there are, excuse me, there are handfuls of men in the business. They come and go. Mm-hmm. I know several that are consistent and around. And, um,. <clears throat> I think that men who provide services to men are able to make a career out of this. And men who provide services to women are able to make this a second job. Mm. I don't think that, um, I don't think that this, the, the group of women who are able to pay and willing to pay is as large as men.
2: I would I would agree. That's what I've observed as well. I mean, I've actually known a couple of, of male sex workers myself. Um, and that's what I've noticed is a consistently, you know, similar 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 story to you to yours, starting off as Know the dancers and so forth, but then moving into the more sex work and the ones who cater to a male clientele are absolutely able to make a living out of it. Whereas those who cater exclusively to a female clientele, yeah, it's a, it's a part time thing for them. Yeah, interesting, yeah. very interesting.
0: One thing I like to get back to: you mentioned that you ran into this business and and you're a young you're a young stripper, and you're like this is my calling. I've I've discovered it. This is my purpose. there I am. How does that go over with, with friends and family? Could, could other people accept that you really like this?
1: Um, <clears throat> it's a mixed bag. Uh, as a stripper, um, it was less of a big deal um, until I had a boyfriend, and then it was more of a big deal, and that's when I was, like, being the waitress and doing all of that. But, I mean, I learned the hard way that there, that no man is worth um the kind of income that good girls makes <laughs> um, no <laughs> no more of that um so again, for so in me those, dating in those time in
0: those times you were curtailing your happiness to please someone in your in relationship with it wasn't really your choice to stop
1: yeah well i mean at that time <clears throat> like i still had a lot of internalized horphobia too so Like I, you know, I was like trying to make a change or whatever, Um, it it took another couple of years before I felt really um, more empowered around my sex work. But I mean, ever since then, dating for me has been upfront. Look, this is what I do, understand it, like it, or get lost, like I'm really solid on that. Um, I don't know many women who approach it that way. been doing a lot of counseling with women who just don't, they just can't get it out. Like they just can't get the words out and it's like, okay, I'm going to tell him this weekend. And like, there is no heavier stress that I have observed than a female escort who's trying to keep her business a secret from her new boyfriend. Oh my God, Ah. so hard. It is so hard and I never see it go well. the, like, no guy appreciates finding out six months into the relationship.
0: Yeah. I, I would imagine the so, no longer that conversation is put off, the, the, the heavier it lands.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, people are like, oh, but if I tell him right away, then he's not going to like it and I'm going to lose him. But I'm like, good riddance. Like, filter them out early before you get attached, before you, like, you know, share – a cat or something, you know? Like, don't don't get too invested in somebody who, don't let someone invest in you who doesn't know who you are. Um, but I have a lot of compassion, a lot of sympathy because we're lonely. It's hard to date, um,
2: mm.
1: and um, I there 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 were lots of lonely months. like, with my policy of, like, like it or get lost, um, a lot of people got lost, um, so I eventually partnered with someone who is, like, my best friend, who's known that I was an escort forever, um, like, at some point, I kind of just went back and started redating guys who I already knew, (laughs) because, um, there were several humiliating and difficult new dating situations that were hard for me and um, so yeah I, I sought out a best friend and a baby daddy more than a um, romantic well I mean at the beginning after 13 years it's so different but at the beginning it was the traditional romantic thing and then it was like we're best friends and like we can make a life work together let's do this um, but I'm super pragmatic like that um, <laughs> Lots of sex workers have such big soft hearts and they just need someone to be kind and patient and not jealous. And that's where I can help, you know, like if you are dating a sex worker and you're struggling with her work, and I'm saying her because these problems most significantly come up in male-female heterodynamics from what I've understood. I feel like queer communities have done more work around non-monogamy than straight men have. So, um, that is not to say, I mean, I've seen plenty of lesbian relationships where one is a sex worker and one is not, and the one who's not really struggles with her partner partnering with men for money. So, like, that's there, and these feelings are valid. Um, They are real. So, um, like, that's the kind of counseling that I'm able to be available for for my peers, you know. That's why I went and did this work, because... I see how these things come up. I have a lot of compassion for it. i like for people who are struggling with it.
0: What's the best way for people in that situation? Is there a different way to contact you um, for, for that sort of peer-to-peer counseling? Or is it only with friends? My,
1: oh, no, no, no. Totally get in touch with me, twitter.com. Um, or no, no, no. Twitter.com slash Klein. Or act can really cry. Um, I also have my counseling website, it's grow And you asked me if like that's my intention eventually. Like, yeah, eventually I will have to transition and I am setting up the building blocks so that I can have I want to do similar work, which is work with people one-on-one or in groups when I'm lucky. And um uh I do see this being, I I do see a healing business in my future, like wellness and healing. And um, I'm not going, I'm not interested in saying, okay, I'm done with the sex industry. I'm moving on to something else and I'm putting that behind me. I'm interested in moving on to something else and saying like at the top of my CV, like one of my qualifications is that I worked in the sex industry for 20 years. You see what I'm saying? Like it's, I see it all as continuous and flowing. It's not, I mean, I intend to use my legal name and just say, formerly known as Kimberly Klein. Like, I'm, I have no interest in separating myself from Kimberly Klein. I'm so proud of the work that I do. I'm so proud that I have been the same person for 15 years in this business. That's not easy to do. Yeah, I can only,
0: I can only, so
1: yeah, I'm, my whatever comes next is gonna still be part of my sex work.
0: Awesome. Well, I have a lot of questions, which is a really great thing because you're gonna be back here in two weeks for a, a really a live QA call where um people beyond just Apio and I can 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 ask you questions. Yeah. And and, and we, we haven't talked about this. You know, we can just they can ask your burning questions about anything. It, it, sex.
1: Oh, please, anything. Anything. Um, you know, I mean, let's not, let's not have it um, devolve into um, locker room talk, like not that Mm -hmm. it can't be sexual or explicit, but, um, you know, let's not have like crank callers who are just like, oh, hey, we can say whatever we want to this escort. (laughs) But it seems like you have a pretty sophisticated viewership. So I don't expect that.
0: that. That'll be in two weeks. That will be, I need a calendar. That will be Tuesday, March 28th, live, eight pm Eastern. <clears throat> and you can, you can join us live and be seen to be heard and ask your question live of Kimberly. Or you can submit questions in advance um, if you can't make it live or you'd rather pl- play this game a little bit more anonymously. That's totally cool. So you can email us questions at realmenfeelshow at gmail.com. Or if you're willing to be a little more public, you can, uh, you can play along with us on Twitter. So use the hashtag AskKimberly with two E's on the Kimberly, not the Ask.
1: I'm so excited. At
0: Real Org or at Kimberly Klein. And um, all those details will be in the description of this episode, wherever you may be seeing it.
2: And fair warning, if you do decide that you want to join us live on the Zoom feed, Zoom is a video conferencing software, so just heads up, you'll come in straight up to video, but you can always mute your video as well as your microphone if you don't want to
0: be seen. Yes. You can You can play at whatever level you are comfortable with. Absolutely, yes. Beautiful. So, uh, thank you, Kimberly, for coming. I. I
1: Thank I love you for having
0: I'm me. So much, at and this is one of them.
2: <laughs> and Andy, I have to say something here, really quick, in conclusion, and that you've been doing a fantastic job of finding some guests that I continue to just fall in love with. So I totally fell in love with, with Diva. Now I'm totally falling in love with Kimberly. It, it, it's, it's a being and straight woman dynamic, I guess. I don't know, but. <laughs>
0: And you're on the right side of the country. You can do it. actually get to hang out with her, so. Exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. we're going to hang out in a couple weeks. In fact, totally are. at the I arrive on the 28th. I was just thinking, like, when we said the 28th, oh. I was like, oh, I'm driving from Vegas to Salt Lake that day. I'd better figure this out. Oh, my
2: gosh. In that case, we'll probably just have to do it here in my living
0: room, two of us together.
1: Okay, perfect. Perfect. That'd be great. I love it.
0: So two weeks, it sounds like it's going to be an extravaganza, to say the least. But uh, thanks for this tonight. Thanks for everyone that's been asking questions and, and viewing us live. And again, any time between now and March 28th, you can submit questions via email, submit via Twitter with hashtag AskKimberly. We'll be live again, Kimberly free, <laughs> on a special Sunday recording, Sunday, March 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern, because we're having a guest join us from Berlin, Germany. So, we had to figure out a lot of time challenges for that. It's going to be Jonathan Hermida from Awaken the Journeys talking about transformative adventures for men, which Kimberly yeah. can have heard of that too. It I want to
1: <laughs> listen to that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <Right>? <laughs> so, until next time, whether you're joining us live, whether you're checking out recordings, the podcast, um, as always, we hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for joining us and uh, be well, everybody. See
2: you guys later.
0: Bye. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org, join the Real Men Feel group on Facebook, and share what you thought of this show. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com and Hunter at apiohunter.com.